The scripture reading for this morning is taken from Psalm 84, and we will be reading and reflecting on the whole of this psalm. This psalm is to the chief musician on an instrument of Gath, and it's a psalm of the sons of Korah. You'll be able to find that on page 678 of your pew Bible. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. O God, behold our shields and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. So far, the word of God. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when you really love something, it's hard to refrain from telling everyone you know about it. This can be especially true if it's a new discovery, or it can be true if it's a rediscovered love for what you currently have. For many of you, you may have experienced this as you heard that you are allowed to gather again together as, as God's people for worship. That this was a real reason for joy for you, for rediscovered joy for you, and you told those who are around. This is a similar experience to what the dusty traveler would have had as he was coming up to the Temple Mount. He would hear the hymns rising up as he travels closer and closer, getting louder and louder. The singers would greet him as he entered in with his sacrifices, and among them the sons of Korah. And here we have the sons of Korah themselves, men with a unique backstory, priests in the temple who can't contain themselves because of their joy. They're they're so happy for the opportunity and the privilege that they have to be able to serve in this way that they want to tell everybody how wonderful it is to be able to do this. What a privilege it is to be there. 
Now, why was this so unique for the sons of Korah? If you're familiar with the background of the sons of Korah, you may know where they came from. If you've reflected on some of the other psalms and you've seen the other psalms that were written on the sons of Korah and you've looked back, you've seen where they came from. They were the descendants of one of three men who was in rebellion back in the day when Moses was traveling through the wilderness. Moses had just been chosen by God to lead the people of God through the wilderness to the promised land. And he had chosen Moses as the one that he was going to use as his instrument to lead the people. And he had chosen Aaron, the brother of Moses, to lead the people of God in worship. But Korah, being one of the Levites, being a member of the Korahites, who was the clan that was tasked with carrying the wrapped up the wrapped up belongings that came with the tabernacle, they weren't happy with their task. Korah himself could not accept the fact that he wasn't even allowed to touch the sacred objects that came with the tabernacle, that the priests would have had to wrap them up for himself, for, for them, before he and the Levites could take hold of them and then carry them by hand. And so he rose up with Dathan and Abiram, these three ringleaders of this rebellion, and they came up in their ambition and in their pride to Moses, demanding to take control of worship. The Lord punished them for that. It said that all who were gathered together, you can read about this in Numbers 16, all who were gathered together with the members of Korah who stuck with him had all of their tents in a similar place and everybody else was told to move their tents as far away as possible because the judgment of God was coming on these men and then they would see that it was truly God, not mankind, who was judging them. And then the earth opened up and swallowed them up. But it says the sons of Korah lived on These sons of Korah, they would have had this in the forefront of their minds. But at the same time, they would have remembered very clearly the grace of God in allowing them not only to not carry with them the stigma of what their forefathers had done, but to remain in the temple, to remain in this special place. And now under the reign of David, under the reign of King David, they were given a special place among all the priests to make this music and to bring praise to God. And it was these sons of Korah that were writing this psalm. These sons of Korah who were brought to see the value, the deep value of worship of God and who rejoiced in it, who celebrated in it. And they open with this. They speak of the blessedness of living in the house of God. And we'll see all who are welcome the pilgrimage there, and the end of the pilgrimage. We'll see that under the basic breakdown of this psalm, as you can find it here with the salahs, those points of reflection as you look back and meditate on this psalm, found at the end of verse 4, the end of verse 8, and then the final reflection as the psalm closes. 
So these sons of Korah, for whom this has become so precious, begin with these words, How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. What is it that makes the dwelling place of God so lovely? Maybe in part, the structure itself. But, as we know from around the time of the reign of King David, the structure itself, the tabernacle, was not really that beautiful compared to what David himself, for example, the king, was living in. And this is why he had felt in his heart the desire to build a temple, the desire to build something magnificent, because this tent that he saw, this tabernacle, was not particularly magnificent. It's described in the Old Testament as being 100 cubits by 50 cubits, so that's about 150 by 75 feet, a quarter of a football field. Half the length and about half the width of a football field. Certainly there was some beauty. They were told when they wove it to make the tabernacle with curtains of finely twisted linen and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn with cherubim woven into them by a skilled worker. All the curtains are to be the same size, joined together, made with loops of blue material along the edge of the end curtains. Fifty gold clasps fastening everything together so that the tabernacle was a unit. And you can read that in Exodus chapter 26 and further descriptions of this in Exodus 26, the verses 1 and following. But even despite that, it just wasn't particularly beautiful. And yet, the authors of this psalm make it clear that it's not the beauty of the temple itself that, is, that makes it so special. Their soul longs, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. And yet, it's not this in itself that makes it so special. Perhaps you yourselves have experienced this in part over the last number of months as you were withheld from being able to gather together in this special way for worship. Believers, each and every one of them in the New Testament, in 1 Peter we read, are as living stones, each of us a block that is brought together to build the temple of the house of God. And as we come together, we are a place of worship, each and every one of us. And so our soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. We long to be able to get together and to bring our worship and our praise to God. But again, just as with us, so also was it with them. That's not the main reason why. It's not because everybody else here is so beautiful and because we get along with them so well and because they are such magnificent people. We all know our own brokenness, and we all know our own sin. And we know that it's sinners who are getting together, and that it's not until the end of days that we will be perfected, that we will be purified. But we get together because we know the reason for which God has provided worship. 
It's so that our heart and our flesh can cry out for the living God. We come together for worship not because of what we have here. They came together for worship not because of the sanctuary, not because of the tabernacle, because of the gold clasps, because of the woven cherubim, but they came together because this was the place which was the center of the focus for worship to God and their heart and their flesh cried out to God. Now, why was that the case? Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts. So these small birds are described These insignificant birds are described. These are birds that people don't really take much notice of. They don't think much of. When I was in Hamilton in the entrance by the carport, there were a number of swallows that had built their nests in the top corners of the carport, and nobody really thought much of them. They didn't really look twice at them. Small, insignificant creatures. And the sons of Korah here could see a picture of themselves reflected in that. Not particularly special of their own accord in their minds. And yet even the swallow and even the sparrow could come into the courts of God. They could find their joy with God. They were able to dart in between those who were offering up their sacrifices and pick up crumbs here and there, they were able to enjoy sanctuary in the temple of God. Even approaching the altars. This is who God is. He looks out for and he receives even those who are small and insignificant in their own eyes. He receives them with love and he provides a place for them. And this was the reason for joy and reason for celebration. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will be praising you. So the first part of the Psalms of the sons of Korah reflects back as you reach this Salah. It reflects back on the fact that The sanctuary is precious because this points all of our hearts to God. This is the special place where God has brought us to focus and everyone is welcome here. I, even I, can find sanctuary with you, God. And this is why my heart and my flesh cry out to you. Then we come to the second part of this psalm. And it shows us in the second part of this psalm that it's not just anybody who is able to find this joy, not just anybody who is able to find this satisfaction and this comfort in Christ, in the the tabernacle grounds. Rather, it's the one whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. This was something important that the sons of Korah wanted to get across to the people of God as well. 
It was a reminder that those who just came up, those who just saw it as a burden to come again and again to the tabernacle of the Lord, those who were just going through the motions, would not be able to get the deepest joy from this. They would not be able to rejoice in that comfort that even a sparrow finds a place to rest. But it's the one whose heart is set on pilgrimage. It's the blessing of desiring, having your desires in the right place, the blessing that God gives you as your desires are set in the right place on God himself. Pilgrimage, for maybe you boys and girls who aren't so sure about what that means, pilgrimage is when you get up from your home and then you travel across the land of Israel, in the case of the Israelites, you would travel across the land of Israel to a holy place, to the tabernacle. And you would do this on feast days, on festival days. It's with this heart focused on where you are going that you would be able to come to the Lord and come have comfort in what he says. But the thing is that as you are traveling in pilgrimage and as we ourselves travel through life in pilgrimage, as we have our hearts set on a heavenly temple, as we have our hearts set beyond this world to another world where we look forward to perfection, we recognize that it's not always a place of comfort. This world can bring us through dry places. This is the next thing that the people, the sons of Korah, want to draw to attention for the people as well. They describe the valley of Baca. Now, where exactly this valley is, nobody is entirely sure. But what's meant by it is very clear. The Valley of Baca is meant to picture a place that is dry and barren. As we sang in the psalm, it says they make that barren place, that barren wilderness, a place of springs, a lush oasis. And they speak of desert sands there too. This is the picture that is meant traveling through this dry valley. There can be times when life disappoints us and times when we go through places of dryness, through desert and through sorrow. During this time, we are brought to look back on where our desires are placed, where our desires are set. The sons of Korah remind the worshipers again Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Although they pass through the valley of Baca, they don't dwell on where they are in the valley. The fact is that, yes, they are going to continue going through this valley for a period of time. And they're going to continue to suffer this thirst and this dryness and these difficulties. But their hearts, their eyes are fixed on the loveliness of the tabernacle 
Their mind is fixed on their final destination, what was first described here in this psalm. And because of this, they are able to go from strength to strength. The picture is given here of going from one oasis to another oasis, being refreshed. It doesn't mean that the valley is not there. But even in the valley, as our hearts are set on pilgrimage, our God provides us places to find oasis, to find refreshment, to find water. I was speaking to someone a while back who was praying to God for wisdom in conflict resolution. And during this time, this person started to experience more and more conflict in their lives. And the question arose, where is this coming from? But someone came to them and was talking with them and said, this is actually an answer to prayer. You asked for God's guidance in this. And now God is giving you the opportunity to continue through this, to work on this, and to grow with your eyes fixed on him now, with a different perspective than you approached it before. When your desires are set on pilgrimage, when your heart is set on pilgrimage, God will give you what you need as you travel through. Not necessarily everything that you want, but what you need. Leading you through the desert, but from one oasis to another. From strength to strength. He will guide you and he'll shape you until each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. And it's this final word of comfort that they give in verse 8. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Jacob the deceiver, the heel grabber. He is crying out to the God who takes the broken person, who takes the sinner, and who transforms them as he leads them from strength to strength, who shapes them and who forms them over time. As their heart and as their strength is set in him, by his grace, God leads them from one oasis to another until he brings them redeemed, renewed, and restored before God in Zion. He leads you, and this is where we have the next salah. Our God leads you through the bitterness of sorrow and the dryness of desert from strength to strength. He will supply you with what you need. This brings us to our third point. Blessed is the one who trusts in you. O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. We'll get to that in a moment. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Consider who's writing this for a moment. This is the sons of Korah. 
They are thinking back again to their forefathers and to the men who gathered around their their forefather, Korah. They are thinking of those who were called to separate their tents from the tents of the wicked, from those who had risen up in ambition, risen up in rebellion against God, those who didn't have their hearts focused on pilgrimage, those who didn't have their hearts focused on worship, but those who had their hearts focused on where their ambition could reach them and the control that they could seize. This is an incredible confession of faith. A day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere is what's meant here. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. I would be content carrying out the most menial tasks, the most basic tasks in the house of my God. The task that my forefather rejected. But I would rather do this than dwell in the tents of wickedness. I would rather do this than as Korah who rose up and who gathered around those 250 men in his ambition and in his pride. He was able to have their support and he was able to have their words and their stroking his ego. He would rather reject all of that. Give that up for a day in the courts of the Lord. This is a profound confession of someone who doesn't want to repeat the sins of the past, nor does he have a desire to. He doesn't have a desire to because he and his family have received redemption and received restoration. They have been restored as singers in the house of God, which is why they say, a day in your courts is better than a thousand And they have this privileged position due to their shield. O God, behold our shield. Look on the face of your anointed. For the Lord God, verse 11, is a sun and a shield. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. They are able to find their protection under the Lord himself. He's a son, the provider, and the shield, the protector. And so it's with him as their shield that they, broken people, they, the sons of Jacob, that they, the people who are being led through the land, who are being redeemed and restored, who are being transformed each and every day, led step by step till they appear before God in Zion, they are holding God himself up as their shield. God's promises to them, God's grace to them, God's strength. And look upon the face of your anointed. For them, they would have the high priest that they would always be able to remember, the anointed high priest as he went in and out of the sanctuary. And that to them was a constant reminder that God didn't look on them with anger, but God looked on them with forgiveness, with grace, and with love. That it didn't matter what the sins of the past involved, but God had redeemed them. He had provided the sacrifices and he had provided the way. 
The presence of the high priest, the anointed one of God, as he traveled into and out of the most holy place, was the reminder for them. They could hold him up before God and say, O God, behold the face of your anointed. He is a symbol of the shield that you give. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly, from those whose heart is set on pilgrimage, from those who look to him. This is why a day in his courts is better than a thousand elsewhere because he provides redemption. He provides restoration. He leads one whose heart is set on pilgrimage even through the difficult periods of time until they appear before him in Zion. And when they appear before him in Zion, moving on again to the first part of that psalm, even the most humble, the swallow and the sparrow, can find strength and comfort with him. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. It's true, there's no greater confession than you could have than that. This is what you receive with the God who has laid all of this out before you. As we come before God, we look upon our own anointed, our own great high priest, Jesus Christ. We can say to God when we come before him in worship, O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. Look on the face of the one who has opened the way to the heavenly sanctuary for us. Look at his redeeming work. Take us like Jacob. Transform us each and every step of the way. Lead us from desert place to oasis until we can finally rest in you. And we can take courage and we can be confident that Jesus Christ is our anointed, that he is our shield. And we can ask God to behold his face. O Lord of hosts, O Lord of the promise, of the covenant, O Lord of hosts, of power, the one who is both willing and able, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Amen.